0: Spaces between spaces and lines between lines She stands in the doorway beyond space and time And she picks the flowers out in the My rain. name's Tom Jennings and this is The 24 she Frames Cast. I'm just going to be a short episode today. I will be look, taking a look at the recent Blu-ray release of Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie. Um, before I get into anything, uh, the Master of Cinema Cast has returned. You can find us on MasterCinemaCast.blogspot.com. Um, you can obviously I w- uh, add a link in the show description, uh, so you can uh, if you haven't or you unsubscribed or anything like that, you can get back to subscribing. We are going to be kind of putting on a more regular uh, show output, which is good to hear. And um, the second thing is the bond retrospective has begun again so if you go to the page on my blog on 24framescast.blogspot.com and you'll find a post you will find a page that says exclusives and they will be in there they won't be appearing on the main feed so you do have to go to the blog if you want to listen to those this is kind of an appeal for both the master cinema cast and this podcast if you do like the show and you kind of want to help support it. I, we don't take donations. I'm. There's no need to do that. Some people have been very kind in the past and made offers and have you know asked me if you know I, I was taking donations. And I, it, it's so fl- flattering to hear when people say that. But um, I, 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 there's no need. Um, the costs of actually hosting the show are, are minimal, um, barely ten pounds a month. So I think it would be disingenuous to say that um it the, the the shows needed supporting however there is a way you can help us which is if you can go onto to itunes or anywhere you can leave a review for the shows and just write some you know you don't even have to you know obviously write an essay or anything like that but it really does help us and of course share um episodes out on your social media feeds or what have and have not and that that will that will help us massively if people can do that so if you do want to support the show that's how we would ask you to do it Okay, so that's going to be it in terms of housekeeping. Um, We're going to get on with the show now. And here is a look at Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie. They got carried away by that game. So I just wanted to to show them that the same moralities that exist uh, in the real church can exist here in the the movie church, Uh, right? So the only thing is that I hope that after this game is over, morality can be born again. After the success of Easy Rider, Hopper would make his follow-up, The Last Movie. Now, to put it bluntly, The Last Movie was not well received. Its studio, Universal, quickly abandoned. And unlike Easy Rider, it was not able to become a breakout success and a runaway box office hit. It effectively put the brakes on Hopper's career for a few years, Although the film was not lost, it simply faded away into a kind of hazy obscurity. People knew about it, some even really liked it, but for the most part, the last movie was an oddity, seldom seen and occasionally spoken about. I first heard about it in Peter Briskin's Easy Riders and Raging Bulls, and in truth it never really actively sought out to see it. Namely in part because the only version of it I could get hold of was a fairly terrible print that appeared on YouTube and was taken down as fast as I could even think about it. And yet in December 2018, The Last Movie was released in a newly restored version and has recently been given a long overdue home video release in the form of a Blu-ray by indicator so it seemed a perfectly good time to catch up and have a look at it. Now it's worth stating from the off, The Last Movie is not some lost classic. It's not a forgotten masterpiece from the new Hollywood era, but having watched it twice, I can certainly say that it's a very interesting film. And indeed, at times, it's actually quite extraordinary that deserves to be rediscovered, and in my opinion, given a great deal of praise. The last movie is a product of its time, a time when studios believed in the artist. The director is a singular visionary who should be given freedom to make the film they wanted. The American movie at the time, was still considered an artist realm, not as it would become later as an industry run by corporations desperately seeking to exploit existing franchises and discover new multi-billion dollar new ones. No, this was a time of experimentation and Universal originally envisaged a project in which five young filmmakers would be given one million dollars each and creative freedom to make them their own film. Eventually only three of these would be made, Peter Fonda's The Hired Hand, Monty Hellman's two-lane blacktop, and Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie, all of which were financial failures, all of which, in my opinion, are solid, decent films. The Last Movie is easily the most obscure of the three, and in terms of its plot, one could argue it even sounds ever so slightly daft. A film crew, led by a director, played by none other in this case than Sam Fuller, heads to Peru to make an adaptation of Billy the Kid. It's a violent, wild-bunch type of affair with ultra-violence and slow-motion deaths amongst the cast. And amongst the cast is a stuntman named Kansas, played by Hopper. The locals are entranced by what they see. Unable, it seems, to separate or fully comprehend that they are watching make-believe. And after the film has wrapped and the crew left, a cult of filmmakers is formed. Complete with wooden cameras and sound booms, the locals recreate what they have seen, unable to separate the make-believe violence from the real thing. The local priest despairs as they reject the church in favour of this new cultural pastime. All the while Kansas has stayed on after the film has wrapped and between drunken stupors with his friend who believes they can profit from a gold mine, he abuses his prostitute girlfriend, dreams of turning the local area into a kind of ski resort or a movie studio, whatever else comes into his head. Meanwhile, the new film cult decide that he's gonna be a star in their new make-believe film Only the bullets and the beatings are actually going to be real. Now, if this all sounds slightly ridiculous, then it is. But make no mistake, the last movie is a fascinating, if slightly flawed, piece. The original screenplay was written by Stuart Stern of Rebel Without a Cause fame that included clips from films such as The Treasure of Sierra Madres, echoes of which can be seen in canvas, and his friend Robbie played by Don Gordon, as well as a variety of other material from Popeyes and westerns featuring John Wayne. Most of what was cried was owned by Warner Brothers, with whom Hopper was blacklisted, and it was apparent, therefore, that the last movie was going to cost far more than Universal were ever prepared to pay. As such, Hopper decided to film the last movie without a screenplay as such. He created the film on the fly, taking the crew down to Peru with a lot of drugs, and started filming. It's clear to me at least that the last movie was found in the edit, of which Hopper would complete on a newly purchased ranch surrounded by friends including none other than Nicholas Ray and of course a lot of drugs. It is edited in a non-linear way unless you are paying attention in the opening few minutes are a dizzying spectacle of imagery that hint at the previous chaos that has unfolded, yet pretty much the film's essential themes are well established within it. In the opening we see the cult leader complete with a US cavalry hat surrounded by the locals frantically following his commands. The hat has such iconic connotations. It's hard not to associate the US cavalry with it and the ethnic cleansing and genocide of Native American Indians. It is a symbol in effect in this case I believe of white conquest. The cult director wears it and is consumed by a lust for capturing violence. He and his crew ogle and corral the local girls to be in their movie leering as they do it this that they are manic and they have a demonic way about them and juxtaposed this is the local priest who is witnessing the corruption of his local flock aghast the real film crew may have only been there a short while but the cultural legacy they have left has been immense and perhaps it's no coincidence that they were there to make a western in its earliest incarnation, the Western vilified Native American Indians as an evil enemy in need of wiping out. In later years, it became more introspective. It was the American male himself who came under focus. Angst-ridden, racist, and its latter stages, the Western violence was more often not turned into a black bloodbath by the likes of Sam Peckinpah. It is a truly American genre, and its effect here is wholly corrosive. In mimicking what they see, the locals exemplify the very worst form of cultural contamination. What's going on down there? Hell. And that's violence. And people are killing themselves in the streets. And the movies have bring here violence and I don't like it. And I want to talk to you. Private, if I can go out a moment with you. Please. I would like you to follow me, please. You know, Padre, I I, I didn't, uh, I, I am mean, it's just a hired hand. I know you are, but please, I need you to follow you me. Do me this favor. Yes, sir. Let's sit for a minute. Oh, oh God, God, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared, I'm scared. You're scared, Padre? What do you, what do you, what do you... About Listen to that. Listen to that. That man is teaching them to make movies. He, they are imitating the movies. Uh, if you know, if one of those souls go against my word, that is the word of God. One could argue Hopper's view of them is in itself retrograde. Their simple minds are simply too undeveloped to comprehend the complexities of illusion and artifice, especially when it is so clearly make believe as to what they are seeing. I don't think Hopper is being so naive. There is an air of bombacity about what we see. Could film ever have such an effect on a culture? Well, perhaps not to this extent. It is just a film after all. But let's not forget the power of the medium has immense sway over culture. One need only look at the recent reaction between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga in A Star Is Born and the speculation that the pair would emulate their love affair in real life. At a recent Lady Gaga concert, Cooper and Gaga duetted sending Instagram and Twitter into utter hysteria as if somehow the film's tragic ending could be reversed in reality. Now it's tempting to scoff and say well it's just a film but it's quite telling how audiences often feel when we watch a film or a TV series and become so invested in what we see. And i'm actually guilty of this also the other day i caught myself wondering what was going on with jesse and celine from the before films before snapping back into reality the power of film and indeed american culture drives the local to reject the traditional i.e the catholic church and embrace a cult of violence and hedonism there is analogy for sure one can argue the fact that the Vietnam was still raging at the time and its role in the conflict by this point had been laid bare for all to see. The war was a disaster with the principal victims being the Vietnamese. Cannes believes he can simply exploit this country for his own gain in a similar way. He will build a ranch, build a studio and then along with friend its resources every american we come across in the film is a kind of shade of awful kansas himself violently beats his girlfriend for daring to act jealous as he for daring to act jealous as he lurches over a local american factory owner's wife in this regard the last movie is i believe a politically aware film i hesitate to use the term woke i think it's actually far more interesting than that But I believe it is critiquing the ideas of exploitation and imperialism, with Kansas being the cypher through which this is explored. His presence in this corner of Peru, and indeed the film crew, do appear to have upset the natural balance, as if the innocence of the place has been dealt a mortal blow. In one scene we've seen Kansas and his girlfriend having sex in a waterfall. It's all very primal, dare I say, Garden of Eden-esque. Only who should see them from above? Well, of course, it's the priest who happens to be out on an excursion with a group of children who need shepherding away from this act of premarital relations. It's a fairly graphic sex scene. And it did. And part of me did wonder whether this was an attempt at, by Hopper to create a kind of comment on the debauched nature of cinema. Perhaps he was wondering or perhaps even hoping that people, such as more conservative critics, would find this scene quite appalling. One can only ponder. But it's not the film's only sexually explicit moment. Kansas courts the American wife of a lactal factory owner who confides that she enjoys being spanked and beaten during sex. It's kind of played for laughs, but again I did rather suspect it was there for its perceived shock value. Yet for all its masculinity, the gunfights, the women, of the booze, Hopper's Kansas makes for a surprising protagonist. Clearly, he is vulnerable and a deeply troubled soul. When we first see Hopper, he is every bit the movie star, clad in denim riding a horse. He may not quite have the looks of James Dean, but there's no getting around it. He is a movie star. The beard, the long hair and glasses from Easy Rider have gone. This is a character who is far more accessible this time around, and Hopper isn't afraid to show a surprising level of emotion to him. Possibly the film's standout scene comes when Cans walks through a party, we see hipsters, film stars, beatniks, and just about every other kind of bore one comes across at a party. And having navigated this social hell, Candace backs up and proceeds to cry. Oh yeah, sure, I'm fine, I'm just, I'm just out of getting the lair. Well they are complaining there is no liquor. Oh yeah, it's in the cabinet there, I'll be in a minute, okay honey? I'll be right in there, okay? I'll see you in there now. It's an oddly touching moment and it conveys a deep sense of alienation in his character and Hopper elicits a genuine pathos for Kansas. Yet it's also fair to say that Kansas is not a particularly likeable protagonist despite this. He pl- his plans are utterly fucking stupid Hair-brained would be the best way to describe them, and he has a seedy, leering side that involves taking his friends to brothels and the aforementioned a physical assault on his girlfriend, Maria. As the locals grow more crazed with their newfound film religion, so does the intensity of their attacks on Kansas, culminating in him being wounded by an actual gunshot. I soon forgot about that moment at the party, and I did kind of actually enjoy watching him taking part in this unwitting film that has become from the villagers point of view a kind of grotesque snuff movie albeit one being made on wooden cameras and sound booms yet Hopper is also the director of the film and it is very much the same director we saw in Easy Rider I get the impression from watching both films that is plainly obvious that both were not storyboarded or indeed planned yes the last movie has some highly constructed moments the slow motion death scenes that are technically from the perspective of the film that's actually being made within the film but moreover, there is a real sense that the camera is following the action rather than taking part in pre-rehearsed cues. When Candace and Roby meet the American ladies in a bar, Hopper shoots the meeting in a way that you could have barely even notice that they have entered the scene. It just seems to happen organ- organically. Two friends having drinks that lead to a chain of events where a night out to a brothel just randomly occurs. It's a similar trait that we see in Easy Rider when Wyatt, Billy and George stop in a diner. it sets off an obviously tragic train of events. Here the random encounter is far less more sinister yet is certainly a whole lot more seedier. I wondered as I watched if this is something that intrigued Hopper, the idea that random events can take a person seemingly from an infinite variety of directions and was this perhaps a metaphor for his life to date from actor to photographer to outcast to director about to outcast. Who really knows? But Hopper would again work with director of photography, Laszlo Kovacs, and the visual similarities between the two are all apparent. The camera doesn't worship its actors or its stars. The angle we see doesn't flatter them. It never gives them hero shots or close-ups. And often in the brothel scene, you actually get the impression the camera was squeezed into the room, simply doing the best it could with the room that it had. It could be described as gritty, but there is a romantic undertone to some of it. At times, the lost innocence of the locals is reflected in the paradise they apparently live in, the shots of waterfalls, rolling green plains and distant mountains. Hopper perhaps suggests this is the beauty that his fellow Americans are truly failing to see, with Kansas seemingly indifferent to what is around him, instead just dreams of turning everything he sees into gold mines or ski slopes and God knows what else. Now, the last movie was a film that was really made in the editing suite, and it's here that I think I have the biggest issue with it. I actually think the last movie would work better if it was edited chronologically. It's not the film does not make sense if you are following it carefully, and there is something oh so European about having the credits for the film begin at 12 minutes. Surely Form says this should be at the beginning, of course. However, I felt that its non-linear style with the last movie opens itself to its detractors. It becomes easier to dislike the film. Kansas is one minute the victim of a horrific crime, this should elicit symp- sympathy, yet the next moment he is beating a woman and being an explosive piece of shit. Can you ever really like him, or possibly not, not from flicking from one thing to the other? He becomes even more distant to us. It also breaks the dramatic attention. For me, the film does not build to anything overly significant momentum becomes lost toing and throwing from different timelines. Now of course this is perhaps the point. Would it be the same film any other way? Possibly not. but I go to Easy Rider. That ending hits you. you it simply ends abruptly in the moment the camera moves up into the sky and there's a feeling of tragedy envelops you. These two men have lost their life dream and possibly a way of life has gone with it. Yet the last movie is not easy ride, it's far more experimental than that, and in reality I guess it's possibly being square, too prissy in my view, but I can only say how I feel, and in this sense I was somewhat distracted and drawn away by the editing. But again, that's maybe the point, you have to focus on the film, you have to go with it, and it feels very Dennis Hopper, here's my film, pay attention or go fuck yourself. And of course, there is the other possibility that he was simply wasted with his friends when he was editing the movie, and I dare say that did happen. It's also worth noting the film's soundscape and rather brilliant soundtrack. And if you listen carefully, I'm sure that's the same noise I heard in the graveyard from Easy Rider. And of course, there is the songs with Chris Christopherson on hand and it might not be as iconic as the stuff that's news in Easy Rider, but there's a genuine sense of melancholy in time and place about the track's news. Good luck getting hold of the soundtrack, though it appears to be unreleased as far as I can see. Now, I was going to talk about the film's release in more detail, but in reality, I don't really care. What is the important thing, to me, really, is that the last movie poses many questions. What film are you actually seeing? My favourite part of it comes near its endings where we see hopper running and falling over and getting up apparently to do another take yet what film is he doing this take for is it for the villagers is it for the film within a film or is it just the actual film are these outtakes from it and in another segment hopper breaks the fourth wall and sticks his tongue out to the camera was that the actual film or the fake film or the film who really knows you do even see a clapperboard at one stage with his name on it It's all just one big playful exercise in subverting and bending, experimenting with the medium of film. Or would some detractors might say, this is just evidence of the fact that it's a garbled mess. But what it did remind me of was Orson Welles in F for Fake. It's a work that is a piece of fiction, a film about a film and so on and so on, and I always go away from the feeling of F for Fake. Grinning along with Welles, he appears to be having such a great time with his favourite toy, that being film. The more I think about The Last Movie, the more I've come to appreciate it. In fact, something rather odd happened over the course of working on this episode. I said at the start that I didn't think The Last Movie was some kind of lost classic, yet the more I watched it and thought about it, the more my opinion has changed. I was going to rewrite the beginning of this episode and re-record it, saying I did actually think The Last Movie was a great film, and that it was some overlooked gem, and we should worship it and adore. Then I paused and had a rethink and something rather exciting dawned on me. The film had got under my skin. I watched several scenes again, scratching my head and wondering what Hopper had intended. Whether he would have done anything different if he'd made the last movie in hindsight. How brave he was to even make a film like this and on and on. The last movie, to a degree, had won with me. I'd tried to resist but it taken me into its world and for the past few weeks at least it's pretty much all I've been thinking about. And that is the power of the medium. And for someone who has once again found themselves newly single, it's good to know that film will always be there, a constant source of wonder and intrigue to me. And although I won't be making a wooden camera anytime soon, it's always nice to be driven a little bit mad by the true cinematic oddity. So that's going to be it for this episode of the 24 Frames Cast. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. You can get hold of me, um, Twitter at 24 Frames Cast. You can find me the at uh, 24framescast.blogspot.com and like I said at the top of the show, the Master of Cinema Cast is back. We do have a Facebook page, so uh, make sure you like that. You can find me on Facebook. Um, I am the Tom Jennings who's got a picture of Monument Valley on his um, profile and a rather stupid picture of me making a stupid face with the hood on um, I'm sure you'll recognize it um, anyway hope you enjoyed it and um, I will be back in contact soon with another episode thanks for listening bye